This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an England independent supporters podcast. So here we are again at a time when generally pre-season would pretty much be over and we'd be getting ready for the season to commence. Lush green pitches in the sunshine, meeting up with friends after a three month break, sharing holiday stories together. The charity shield, the traditional curtain raiser to the season textbook cliche there, would have been played, but this time it's going to be played on the 29th of August, with a Premier League season beginning on the 12th of September, as squeezed in between are our Nations League games against Iceland and Denmark on the 5th and 8th respectively. Well, I should probably correct myself there, as I'm clearly showing my age, calling it the Charity Shield, as of course it is the Community Shield, I'm sure, sponsored by someone. Uh, for those that are perhaps not so familiar with English football, and I know there are a few listeners from abroad, the Community Shield is a trophy contested by the English Premier League winners and the FA Cup winners. It's played at Wembley. So this year, Arsenal will face Liverpool. A match-up I remember happening back in 1989. Whether it happened before that, not quite sure, but I'm pretty confident it hasn't happened any time recently. Whilst there is a trophy at stake, and it's it's more a shield rather than a trophy. Is it a hexagon octagon? It's got eight sides. I think it's it's basically an, an eight-sided silver shield on a wooden background. It's not really something to crow about, as basically it's still a friendly game. But it is, as they say, the curtain raiser. Now, thank you for all the feedback on the recent episode where we spoke with Daniel Mousson about his first England game which was against Tunisia back in 1998 in the World Cup. A lively affair, that one. Uh, If you've not heard it yet, it's still in all the usual places. It is a good listen. And as I've said before, it's good to get some older memories from supporters. And if you'd like to share yours, please do drop me a line. I've still got a few in the can, which I'll put out at some stage soon. But hopefully we'll have our preview episode for Iceland and Denmark coming very soon. Hooray, we can finally get around to doing one of those ones again. Uh, In the meantime, what does this episode hold for you? Well, here is a little clue. It's an interesting chat, and it's coming up very soon. But what's happened international-wise since we last spoke? Frankly, not a great deal. Uh, The transfer window is open, and we'll see if any England players make a move over the next few weeks. Doesn't look like Jadon Sancho made that move to Manchester United since we last spoke. But the next squad should be revealed within the next couple of weeks. And as I mentioned on Twitter... Barring Gareth's first ever squad and his World Cup squad, 
This could well be one of his hardest and most interesting ones to compile. And as again, you may have seen on Twitter, I've been tweeting the days since England last played a, a countdown. Or is it a count up? Um, yeah, we're counting up the days, aren't we? Uh, but when we face Iceland, it will be nigh on 10 months since that Kosovo win in Pristina. And John Stones, Fabian Delft, Joe Gomez, well, they were all in that squad for Montenegro and Kosovo. Now, will we see the likes of Jack Grealish, Mason Greenwood, Dean Henderson, Danny Ings? Well, they've all done well in this recent period, and Gareth Southgate has previously gone on record saying he'll only pick on performances. So we'll see. And UEFA have still not given any definitive news on whether supporters will be allowed in stadiums for the upcoming Nations League games. Although, as I think I mentioned on a previous episode, the England Supporters Club are working along the lines that these will be behind closed doors. Obviously, the Champions League and Europa League are going ahead fan-free. But at the moment, in Iceland, their National League has been postponed due to a corona spike. And at the moment... With regards to our game against Denmark, which is shortly afterwards, uh, according to UK government advice, a stay of six days is required. And I quote from the, the government website, The UK is an open country. This means that you can enter Denmark without having to go into a two-week quarantine if you are arriving into Denmark from the UK. If you enter as a tourist, you need to document a holiday stay for at least six nights. It could be a stay in a rented summer house, a campsite, a hotel or a private home or a privately let summer house. Hmm. Obviously, this can change at the drop of a hat, but it does scupper my plan of kipping at the airport after the game. And let me just cover my own back and say these are the guidelines I'm working to. Please make sure that you do your own research as to what you do. Please, I don't want to be held responsible for for anything that you may do. Uh, if you are planning on going to either Iceland or Denmark, Reykjavik or Copenhagen, I will keep my fingers crossed for you. But frankly, I can't see it being too easy. OK, time to move on to this episode's chat. But did that little clue help you? Now, my guest today is someone that I'm sure many England supporters will recognise. Well, his voice at least. As I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Chris Temple, who is the current Wembley Stadium announcer for all England home games and also many other showpiece events, FA Cup finals, playoffs, etc. Chris, hello. Hi, Russell. Thanks very much for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Wembley Stadium announcer, eh? How did that come about? Yeah, it's it's nice. It's a nice one on the CV, isn't it? It's a nice one to look at, and it's an amazing one to, as you can imagine, to, to carry out as well. How it came about? Well, basically, I, I've done quite a few events in quite a few sports going back through uh, sort of probably ten years or so. I reckon I've been on the announcing beat, if you like, okay. um, and a bit a bit longer in my sort of my, my more regular career as a broadcaster. Um, and I I work with somebody called Emma Saunders, who actually is now my my sort of co presenter at Wembley for the England and FA games as well. And they were just um, having a little bit of a reshuffle to at Wembley and just moving a few people around and trying a few different things. This is in the summer of 2018, uh, immediately prior to England going off to Russia for the World Cup. Okay. Um, so they tried a few different people and tried a few different combinations and. 
and myself and Emma had a go together and I tried with a couple of other people as well. And yeah, we, we must have done okay because what will be two years, two and a half years later, and we're, we're sort of still in position. It's, it's sort of our job now, if you like. So yeah, it was, um, it was, it was almost like a trial, a live trial process, if you like, really. It's now a, a massive privilege, as you can imagine. I bet. So what, what was that first game at Wembley? So it was a Nigeria friendly. Ah, um, yep. England won by two goals to one. Actually, I'll be totally honest with you, Russell. I was trying to think who my first England goal announcement had been of my sort of Wembley Stadium announcing career. And I had to look it up. Right. I, could, I, I should know. And I, I mean, I've, I've commentated on that many goals. I think it's 28 goals in, in something like seven or eight England internationals. So they, they've obviously had a little bit of a spell of scoring fives and sevens mm. and things. But it was actually Gary Cahill. Um, so scored, yeah, scored the first goal in that Nigeria 2-1 win. So I th- I'm not sure I would have sat here all day and got that if I'd tried to guess. So, <laughs> Were you nervous then for that first one? Yeah, I would say yes, um, hugely. I mean, not only sort of nervous about the. I mean, I've done I've done stuff in big stadia before, um, but Wembley's obviously the biggest the biggest one I've ever done. Um, but just the fact it was England, and just the fact you're sat right there, literally behind the benches, pitch side, and of course at Wembley as well as doing the sort of in game announcing, we also do the big screen presentation, the the sort of hour or so before kickoff and everything as well. So there was a few sort of guests, um, you know, the likes of Sir Jeff Hurst and. Peter Shilton and other people that we've we've interviewed sort of pitch side before the game. So as much as the actual in-game announcements keep you right on edge and and making sure you get them right, there's a lot of a lot of sort of uh, guests that will slightly overawe you as well a little bit that you you haven't really interviewed anybody of their their sort of caliber before, particularly live in a massive stadium. So yeah, yeah every every element of it I would say for that first game was uh, was pretty nerve wracking. Yeah, I, I can well imagine. I think it's is it your Twitter page or, or your banner thing that you're standing next to is it Usain Bolt as well yes yeah he was I, I can't remember which international that was but he was a, a half-time guest he was just happened to be in the area doing something and yeah again when they say right half-time and it was a half-time relay where the, the kids all run around or someone oh, yeah. runs around with, with a ball um, and they got Usain Bolt out as the special guest for that so I mean when it comes to relay guests that's pretty much the top of the pile isn't it so <laughs> yes yes yeah and he's a big man but he's a, he's a funny man he loves his football as we know so uh, yeah. he was he was well up for it I was I was thinking about your your job and and it kind of struck me that you're like a, you're an integral part of the match day experience for for people who go to the games perhaps maybe underappreciated because you're basically the person who explains things to us be it the as you say the introductions there's the lineups the half times subs goals as you say added time uh, which always gets a a cheer <laughs> or a groan um, yeah. and I was thinking that without you we would not really have a great deal of a clue what's going on especially those at the back row I guess at the top tier at Wembley you're you're kind of like our our TV commentator aren't you yeah well it's, it's funny you say that because I mean it's obviously the way the world's turned at the moment and, and having stadia without fans mm. actually a lot, a lot of a lot of events are actually sort of doing away with announcers um, because there's no one I, I get tweets you know from from people saying why is there an announcer at Wembley for the FA Cup final when there's no one there well of course part of the role of being an announcer is not just necessarily for the fans. It's also part of the occasion, as you say, and the fact that there are ceremonial bits that need to be handled, you know, for example, the cup final or England games, the national anthem needs to be cued. It doesn't just play itself. Mm. Um, you know, all those, I don't, I, mean, I don't press play on the music, but you know, the scripting and everything else, guests that need to be introduced, things like VAR, of course, is an extra role for an announcer these yeah. days. But a lot of, I think a lot of England fans listening to this would probably say they'd, they've never noticed me or, um, you know, that they just don't really notice what goes on in the big screen because they have their ritual of meeting their certain friends at a certain point for the pre-match 
drinks or chat or have a bet or whatever it is that people do before the game. Um, and they probably have a glance up and they probably listen to, you know, the team lineups or other things that go on. But I think in this, it's one of those things, if you do a good job, that's when you often don't get noticed. It's like refereeing, isn't it? Um, yeah. If you stumble or stutter or get something wrong, that's when people will notice you. So that's in a way why, you know, obviously you want to get everything right anyway, but even more so that you can almost go under the radar sometimes. And that's probably sometimes is announced to how, how it should probably be. But there is a, there are so many elements to it and it's not just standing there shouting. There's, there's ways to sort of try and manage an atmosphere. There's ways to try and create an atmosphere. Obviously when England score, that's the big high. You have to be a balancing act because there are um, obviously the FA and Wembley and everything pride themselves on welcoming the opposition countries and, and their fans to matches. So you have to treat them with respect. So that, yeah, there's, there's lots of different elements rather than literally just being the, the shouty man with the microphone. No, I, I think, as I say, like if, if you weren't there, then I think we would we would certainly notice it. But but the job you do, I, th- I think, is is great. And you mentioned the the FA Cup final there. Um, and I did see, I think it was on your your Twitter feed, where obviously Arsenal had the the issue with lifting the cup, and <laughs> and you've done really well to to sort of keep that momentum going there, despite them dropping it. <laughs> well, to give you a bit of an insight, Russell, into that, I mean, that's obviously, that, those moments, um, again, it, with an occasion like that with no fans, there are actually very few parts of their overall, sort of what you'd call the presentation of the game. So things like the National Anthem, things like um, Abide With Me On The Roof, and all those little bits sort of make up the presentation. And actually one of those parts of it is the trophy lift. There's a, you know, an element, if you like. So the, the building the stage, where the stage is going to be. And of course, when you time your announcements is also part of it as well because you want to try and hit the the team lifting the trophy so you always have to start a fraction of a second early with the ladies and gentlemen it's time to celebrate your whatever it is the team the competition because you want to have got that sentence out and have a little bit of a, a beat to breathe before they lift the trophy and you say the team name and of course it was all going well. Um, and if you want to watch this video, it's on my Twitter at Chris Temple, but just to see what we're talking about. But, you know, it was all going well. And Aubameyang takes the trophy in front of his uh, in teammates and then the bottom drops off it, of course. And as everyone saw, I then there's a big gap. But luckily, as a, as a sort of presentation team, we hadn't, no one pressed the uh, go on the fireworks. Nobody pressed go on the streamers. And I managed to catch my words because luckily I had a couple of words still to say. So we, we managed to catch the situation because the last thing you wanted to do was peak too early. Yeah. Um, I have to say in the, in the Skybet Championship playoff final, which was a few days later between Fulham and Brentford, I have to say we, we probably got that one spot on. I was quite nervous about that one thinking we can't have two in four days where something goes wrong. So yeah, again, it's one of those where probably, you know, people wouldn't notice our part in it. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you took the time to watch the video and said that we managed to do all right with it. <laughs> no, this is very good. Very good. I mean, where, whereabouts do you present from or, or announce from? Yeah, that's one of the, I mean, that's one of the things that when I first did it and they said, this is going to be your position. This is where you're based during the game. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. I thought I'd be like high up at the back of the, you know, the second tier or something. So we are right down pitch side. There's a little, if you ever notice, and you'll, you'll look at this next time you're at Wembley, there are two sort of clear plastic desks behind the behind the benches, sort of a few rows back behind the substitutes and things. And that is basically the the sort of production desk. So that is where the music is played from. That is where the, the show producer sits. And that is where I sit as well um, with the microphone during the game. Uh, and obviously during the pre-match and halftime and, and anything else, we're sort of roaming up and down in and around the technical area. Um, I do my first piece walking out of the tunnel, which is always a nice sort of a nice piece to do every week. And sometimes you're 
right in the middle of the players who are warming up or coming out to look at the pitch or all sorts. So actually things can be a little bit unpredictable. You could be talking about Harry Kane and all of a sudden he's there next to you, um, completely sort of unscripted. So yeah, we're, we're right pitch side um, and the, the announcing position is is at pitch level, which actually isn't brilliant because you're looking, you know, if you've ever watched a game from the front row, it's not a great angle to watch a game from because you're looking through people. You can't really get a perspective of distances. And of course, if a corner comes in and there's a massive schmozzle of players heading the ball into the net, it's very difficult with the naked eye from pitch level to see who's got the touch. So obviously we have monitors in front of us as well. But yeah, probably ideally we'd like to be a little bit further back, but we are right down pitch side. So when you say you've got the monitors there, but say if there's a, a substitution being made or, or multiple substitutions, has someone sort of given you a list of what's going to happen or, or are you just taking it from what you can visually see or, or off the screen? It's a little bit of all of those. Um, so often during a game, obviously the live TV broadcast will have a floor manager. You'll often spot him or her walking around the sort of technical area with an earpiece in, talking to the fourth official. He's the one or she's the one who stands on the, the touchline and gives the signal that the match can kick off, for example. Now they are in the ear of the fourth official. They'll usually get a heads up as to what subs are coming. We can obviously see who's coming on usually, but it's often the player coming off that's the, yeah. um, the, the one. And also the factor in here that the guys doing the graphics on the big screen and all the other things, commentators, Sky Sports graphics people, ITV graphics people, they also are trying to get the heads up a little bit before it happens so they can get everything ready, not just us as announcers. So yeah, there's a Sky Floor manager who will radio that through. And we also have our own event floor manager who is there as a sort of a, a second pair of eyes and ears. And they will usually tell us, okay, the substitution is England 16 to 10. But as you say, when it gets to two or three subs or in friendly matches, maybe both teams making three subs at the same time. In that situation, you also don't know what order they're going to happen in. So there's quite a lot in that case of reacting live off the board when the fourth official holds it up. And quickly, I have a little system with what I write down on my team sheet to make sure I try not to make any mistakes. Um, But sometimes it is a little bit on the hoof. And that's where you've just got to take your time not rush it. There's not a there's never not a time limit to get those out. Ideally, you want to be saying the player's name off, and then about three or four steps before they get to the edge of the pitch, that's when you say the player coming on. So that as soon as they take their step or two onto the pitch, that's when you name them. And if they're worthy of getting a cheer from the crowd, then hopefully they do. Uh, I mean, one thing with the the names, as I'm sure um, you, you're well aware that I'm probably going to ask, is is the pronunciation <laughs> of them. I mean, it's. I mean, we all know how to pronounce like your, your Harry Kane and, and Deli Ali and various England players, but when it comes to some opposition players who who perhaps aren't regularly seen in in the Premier League or or on high profile leagues that we may watch on the telly, how do you how do you get around those? Well, it's sort of, I mean, the fundamental of that for me, Russell, is that it's, I feel it's a respect to those players to make the effort to get their name right. Um, because you can look at a team sheet and do it on the fly and have a go. And sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. That isn't my style. My style is to put in the research. So before match day, I will, as a first port of call, um, simply YouTube a lot of players, look for interviews in their native language. Um, where they they might say their own name or a reporter might say their own name. If there's nothing that I can find with something accurate, then often I will seek out a journalist from that country. Um, And it's happened. I mean, Montenegro was a a prime example. Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Kosovo as well recently. I mean, all the teams that England have played actually recently, um, I would say I've had a few names in there that have been a bit of a mouthful. So yeah, I I would, and often what I do is get them to record me a voice note with their way of saying it and send it over so I can practice it. Worst case scenario would be if you haven't managed to do any of that before you get to the ground or the stadium on the night, 
search out a member of the media team from that country or an English-speaking member of their coaching staff. Or actually, we do often have a native announcer of that language as well for health and safety messages that might need to be got out in the stadium that need to be said in native tongue. So often we will have someone like that there. The only problem with that is that sometimes they're not football people. I mean, it's, you know, there's not a, a huge plethora of Montenegrin announcers knocking around in North London, with, you know, with the greatest respect there isn't. Um, so, you know, their football knowledge might not be up to a lot. They might not have heard of the players. So, yeah, it's a combination of all of those things. But the, the ultimate for me is let's make sure we take the, t- the trouble because it will be for a lot of people coming to Wembley as well. You know, the biggest game they'll play um, or a very, very notable game. They might play at Wembley only once in their career. Let's take the trouble. And I've done this with, you know, Wickham and Exeter and Northampton, all these teams that have just been in the playoffs as well. Um, even though there's no fans, let's make sure we do them the courtesy of getting their name right. Yeah, no, fair play. Um, it took me back to, I remember going to San Marino away um, and there was, I probably wouldn't have remembered it had it not have been for this one particular player, but the the PA announcer there, the stadium announcer, actually announced the surnames before the Christian names, <laughs> which was all going along. And I, and I think initially it was like, oh, okay, he's doing it like that. Until he got to Ashley Young when he called him <laughs> Young Ashley. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Young Ashley. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, without taking, I mean, it's quite easily done probably in a lot of languages where you're not so familiar. But you'd, you'd like to think in, you know, with England that most people would, would probably know which way around some of the names were. But anyway, Young Ashley, yeah, he won't get to shake that one off. No. Um, so how does your typical day at Wembley go? So we have um, we have an early call time. So I would say we are probably in the ground for, let's say it's a 7.45 kickoff. We would be in the ground for about um, two o'clock or so. There's a, a sort of a production meeting is the first thing that we do. Um, and the, the sound technicians and everybody have been in earlier than that, rigging up all the equipment, obviously. There's obviously a permanent PA system, but in terms of the, the sound deck that, that plays all the music and everything, that's brought in every game by an outside contractor. So we'll have a production meeting at sort of four to five hours before kickoff um, with the FA staff and our event staff um, and t- members of the TV um, production team, sometimes members of the, I don't know, the choir or the, the military who might be doing a, um, a ceremony or something, just to go through every single element of the event presentation. Because as well as fellows in the stadium, a lot of the event presentation is also coordinated with the global broadcast as well. So the national anthem and, you know, um, Emily Sande on the roof singing a bye with me, all of that kind of stuff is coordinated with TV. Um, so it might be on the big screen in the stadium, but obviously we're doing it to, to very specific timings. And obviously I, I'm usually in those moments getting things counted down in my ear. So while, you know, you're hearing me in the stadium thinking, oh, he's just doing this, you know, whatever time he wants. Actually, I'm usually being counted down to meet some sort of TV junction as well. Um, so yeah, we'll have that meeting and then, once the meeting's done and we've done a few rehearsals with sort of looking at positions that we'll stand to do interviews, um, we might run through my little intro, which is where I walk out of the tunnel, just to see, you know, how many words I've got to get to a certain point by the, by the dugouts or finding a, a good angle to do things so we make sure we haven't got the big screen in the background. All these kind of things. We'll run through every single position and obviously to test things like the camera signal and the mic signal in certain parts of the stadium as well. And then once we've done that, we're probably still three hours away from kickoff, I would say. We do get a bit of downtime then, and that's when I would check pronunciations, just write a few questions for interviewees, just make sure I've got all that in my head, um, and just generally get your head around the game. And then we have a little green room downstairs, like a production office, where we can get changed um, into our, if we're on screen or on the big screen. And then we're sort of doors open at whatever time, an hour and a half before kickoff. And then I think pretty much an, an hour and five minutes before kickoff, that's when we're live. 
so from then on it's it is into sort of full show mode so it can and then after the game it's pretty much uh, we do a flash interview on the pitch which my colleague Emma, Emma normally does and then that's us done usually so unless there's a trophy to be handed out or um, anything else like that England games for example normally are are pretty much done and we can be out of the building within 15 minutes of the final whistle normally so oh wow you're in you're yeah. in the throng with all of us well that's the i mean i have to say russell a couple of times i've had i've had places i've needed to get to like i've had trains i've needed to catch to get to an event the next day and trying to get through the tube queue into wembley park or hearing it over to wembley central or whatever it does you know i am right in the middle of it there's no unfortunately there's no access all areas past to get you in the tube any quicker or anything like that there's no i am literally as soon as i come out the stadium i'm battling with everybody else <laughs> I, I know a shortcut next time, so come find me. Oh, We've right. got a little shortcut. Yeah. We'll talk about that. <laughs> um, in the past, I've I've heard some some cracking errors, um, other than the, <laughs> the the young Ashley one, which which kind of amused me. But there was what, a famous one, I think, in 1987. It was the League Cup semi final between Tottenham and Arsenal, and it was a two legged semi final. And I believe that at half time of the game, the Tottenham stadium announcer basically told the Tottenham fans how to go about buying tickets for the final. And this was heard through the, the Arsenal dressing room and gave them all the motivation that they, uh, that they needed to go out and win that. And then subsequently went on to win the, win the trophy that year. (laughs) (laughs) And and there was another one that I don't know if I should really say this one, but I guess it was one of your predecessors. Right. I think it was in 2008 when we didn't qualify for the for the Euros then, I seem to remember the the stadium announcer said after we'd beaten, I can't remember who, who it was we'd beaten, but he basically said, you can now go book your tickets for Austria and Switzerland. And we then went on to lose to Russia and Croatia. Oh, no. um, so, I mean, you're, you are quite yeah. sort of high profile and you've got to sort of make sure you're saying the right things, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, all those kind. Of, I mean, I would say that those kind of things. I mean, I would try and steer clear of anything that gets a bit too sort of um, you know parochial, if you like. And I mean, you'd probably expect it more at a uh, maybe at a club where um, you, you're very much sort of you're very one sided. You know, you think of a club mm-hmm. PA announcer. You know, your your colours are nailed to the mast. Doing England at Wembley, of course, you know, we are England slanted. Absolutely, we are. You know, and again, it's it's a different type of role when you do the FA Cup semi-finals or final because there you're suddenly neutral um, and you have to treat every goal as if it's exactly the same as the other team scoring. But um, yeah, I, I, you're right in terms of you are exposed because once you've said something, you can't catch it back and, and delete it and edit it because in, sta- in a stadium, it is live. You know, doing TV or doing a podcast like this or anything else, if you say something, you either stumble or get it wrong or say something you legally shouldn't have done, you can always edit it out. But unfortunately, you know, live, whether it be on TV or whatever, or particularly in a stadium where there's 90,000 people sat there in front of you about to react if you get something wrong. I think that's the, the biggest sort of live pressure of all is that all the people are there. Um, and you are the one that, you know, again, it comes back to if somebody in the production team, and this hasn't happened, but if someone in the production team feeds you a dud bit of information, uh, maybe something like saying England have qualified when they haven't or whatever. If you say that on the mic, the only person that's the fall guy is you not the person that is, has delivered you that, that information wrongly. So that's why I always like to have my own information. I always like to be fully across everything. So that the only person, if there is a mistake to be made that can be blamed, is me. But luckily, touching wood as I say this, um, we haven't had that situation yet because I'd always be erring on the side of caution if there wasn't something. And again, it, go, again, it goes back to goal scorers. You know, there'll be a time sometimes when you're not quite sure who scored. And rather than taking a flyer and getting it wrong, that's where you just take a moment 
watch a couple of replays, try and get a second opinion from people in the in the production team. And until you're absolutely sure, don't say anything. I think there was a there was an unfortunate moment with Raheem Sterling's hat trick goal. I can't remember if it was the Czech Republic or was it the Bulgaria game? Bulgaria, um, I think, wasn't it? Bulgaria. When the third one was, well, it looked like it was an own goal. Um, and so, of course, Sterling's moment is hat trick moment. But because the initial impression was it was an own goal, we don't announce own goals. Um, so we probably could have announced it for Sterling, and you know, no one really would have argued. But at the time, we weren't quite sure, and we didn't want to give Sterling a hat trick if it was clearly an own goal. So that's the kind of thing where you just take a moment to make sure there's not going to be any any clangers. You'd rather say nothing than say something wrong. Yeah. Well, well, I hope I haven't jinxed anything for you going no, me forward. Too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're not just the voice of Wembley, are you? Because uh, you've announced other high-profile events too, be it the, I mean, sticking with football, the World Cup in Russia and the Euros of a few years back, but also cricket, athletics, rugby, and, and I believe, weren't you prepared to go to the Olympics this year? Yeah, I mean, this summer I should have um, I should have been doing the Euros. Um, so I'm, I mean, as it stands now, I'm still I'm still in position. I'll be doing the the games at Wembley for Euro 2020, um, including the semis and the final, which is you know, and I'm the only one. There's there's only one announcer for those games, so that's a, a huge honour. And obviously, it was a big blow when that was knocked back. Olympics, as you say, I should be in Tokyo right now as we're recording this, um, working on athletics as well. Um, so yeah, I've been lucky in that when I was growing up, I was sort of across a few sports. I had athletics sort of in my family. My dad was an athletics journalist. Um, Football and cricket were my two sports really growing up. Rugby I got more into as I got older. And there are good opportunities in, if you're multi-talented or multi-talented, that sounds so big-headed. If you're multi-sort of interested, if you like, multi-skilled, you know what I mean? Um, There are are opportunities. And I've been lucky enough to do, as you say, um, I did Kazan at the the World Cup in Russia, which obviously if England and Belgium are just... Uh, played that game a bit more competitively. I would have had England against Brazil in my stadium at, uh, in Kazan at the World Cup. But as it turned out, obviously, it was Brazil against Belgium in the quarterfinals, which Belgium went on to win. So that, was, that, that missed my opportunity to have England at the World Cup. But, you know, I did Argentina, France, Brazil, Portugal. You know, so I saw all the top teams in my stadium, which was, you know, announcing Messi and Ronaldo and, yeah. you know, all the, Mbappe and all these other players was, was amazing. Olympics, I did Rio. I did the Rugby Sevens which was the first time that Rugby Sevens obviously been in the Olympics for many, many years. Uh, so that was, again, a real, a real honour. I did the Rugby World Cup in, in England in 2015. Cricket World Cup last year. I've done a couple of sort of global cricket tournaments as well. And I work for the ECB as, um, as sort of one of the uh, announcers that goes around and works at the, the T20 Blast matches. And I do finals day at Edgebaston as well. Yeah, so it has been, a, I've been very lucky with sort of opportunities I've had. And I think... It's quite a small world event presentation. There's, there's sort of four or five leading companies in this country who organize most of the top event presentation across um, most of the top sports. And if you do a good job, um, then they'll remember you and they'll like to use you. And as long as you can prove you're interested. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't really try any sport that I didn't feel comfortable in, in knowing because I think you can quite easily get exposed um, doing things that you don't understand because one line can actually undo you completely. If you say something that clearly is you know, not in that sports, maybe terminology or, um, you know, it's not, not in the right context. You can easily sort of devalue or discredit yourself. So mm. I, I personally don't like working in sports that I don't, I don't have a genuine interest in or knowledge of. Um, so as you say, football, cricket, rugby, athletics, they would be my, my top four really in terms of where I'm able to work. And luckily, a couple of those are winter and a couple of those are summer, which helps to fill the calendar year as well. Oh, nice. 
<laughs> I mean, is there a difference between different events? Do you find yourself sort of changing your tone or, or like is the audience slightly different? Yeah, very much. So that's a really good point. I mean, for example, in cricket, I work at I work at Lords as one of the announcers at Lords for the MCC, and also I work at T Twenty Finals Day. Now that's the same sport, but it's completely different end of the spectrum. You know, T Twenty Finals Day is all fun and brash, and Lords is all very serious. And I know they're trying to freshen it up a little bit now, but it's a uh, completely the other end of the spectrum. So you do very much have to adapt your your tone and your delivery, and also in terms of what happens in the game as well, because there's no point in being excited. If, if things are going badly, because you're not going to kid anybody. You're not going to make anybody feel that, oh, England, are, you know, they're 3-0 down, they've just scored a consolation. There's no point in the 90th minute, there's no point in going off the, off the charts celebrating that goal, because actually the mood of the stadium won't be that England are going to come back. So you sort of would, and in fact, I, I did it this week, now I'm thinking about it, I did it with, with Brentford scoring a late consolation against Fulham. Uh, it was in the 90-plus or 120-plus whatever Brentford scored. And I didn't go as loud on their goal as I did on Fulham's because of the context of the situation was, I mean, A, it was an empty stadium, but B, there was, it, you know, it wasn't a moment where Brentford were going to come back into the game. It wasn't a huge celebration. They picked up the ball as soon as they could and they ran back to the, the halfway line. And that moment, I had to change my delivery on the spot because it just didn't feel like you should go big there because it wasn't really a celebration. They were about to lose the game. So every sport is completely different demands. Um, I would say athletics is probably the hardest because as a stadium announcer in athletics, you are, you are also a commentator. So as well as delivering all these, the kind of usual announcement kind of stuff you'd expect in other sports, you're actually commentating on races, you're commentating on field events. There are usually two of you um, and you're bouncing, you have a set number of events each you're bouncing between events. So, for example, my colleague might do the 100-meter heats while I'm looking at the high jump. So we're sort of bouncing off each other. The director will say, right, we're going back to the third round of the discus. So you've got to fiddle about with your computer while you're speaking on the PA to find out what the latest standings are in the discus. Then they say, right, we're going to introduce heat four of the 200 meters. So you've got to look down and find your bit of paper that's got the 400 meter, uh, the 200 meters start list on it. So athletics is certainly, you come out of every session feeling like your brain is going to explode. Because, again, there's somebody in your ear telling you where to go. And all of this stuff on top of actually delivering the words that you're there to deliver, as well as being organized and being calm under pressure and everything else. So I really enjoy the challenge of athletics. Um, it's a sport that I have a big interest in. But it, that, I would say, is a, is a completely different demand to some of the others that I work in. Yeah, wow, that's, that's an eye-opener for me. I didn't realize that you were, were commentating as well. Yeah. Um, what's, the, what's the strangest event um you may have announced out i know you just said that perhaps you, you don't go for the ones that you don't know so much about but maybe the strangest <laughs> environment um that's a good question that's a really good question i mean i haven't done that many that i would call sort of strange i mean there's obviously things that have happened that i mean even you know Bamiang dropping the fa cup this week will go into my list of, of sort of strange events because things that you can't prepare for i haven't really done because I sort of, I didn't really do the, the sort of apprenticeship, if you like. I went sort of straight into announcing at, at Hampshire's at GS Bowl, um, doing T20 matches. That was really my first experience of being an announcer. So I, I didn't really do the sort of lower level, smaller, what, the way that a lot of people start doing announcing, maybe announcing at, I don't know, a, a sports day or a county championships or something like that. I sort of missed all of that out, really. And that comes back to the fact I've been working, I've worked for the BBC for, for nearly 20 years. So I, I sort of um, have had a broadcasting background, which has sort of surfed me into announcing, if you like. But I would say a couple of, the, I mean, one of the things that in terms of uh, things you couldn't be prepared for was at the Olympic Games uh, in Rio, the medal presentation to Fiji, who had never won 
a gold medal in any sport, they're all lined up on the top of the podium and Princess Anne is handing out the medals. And every single person, as they get their medal in rugby, you name them. So you'd say, you know, the Fijian player, one, two, three, you go through the list as they're getting their medals. Anyway, we have this list printed out, given to us with the names on. That's the order in which they're all stood on the podium. Someone in a very important ceremonies department somewhere in the Olympics has signed it off. And that's their specific job is to run the ceremony. They've signed this list to say it's, it's accurate. All the people are there. Anyway, we're going along the line and the TV, I've got the TV monitor in front of me, which is showing each player so I can, I know when to be, uh, to be speaking basically. Anyway, we're, we're just about to come along to the star of the tournament for them who missed the final through injury. And his name was next on my list, but he wasn't, as the camera panned along, I knew the next person on the podium wasn't this guy that was the next one on the list. So this is the Olympic Games gold medal ceremony being, you know, beamed to millions around the world. And it was the first medal ceremony of rugby as well. So we were really like, everyone was on edge anyway. And I basically took the flyer at the time to jump over this guy's name because I was so sure that that wasn't him. And there's a lot of sort of complicated names in you know the Fiji team. There's, it's not they're not called John Smith. They're all called you know various multi-syllabic yeah. names. Um, so I just took the flyer, and my heart was absolutely beating through my chest, hoping that it was right because of course we we're about three from the end of the line. I had three more names left, and I was just hoping there were three more people. Um, and sure enough, I was right. The ceremonies person was wrong. He wasn't there, um, and it was yeah. Um, that was probably the the most nerve-wracking 30 seconds of my announcing career um, where I might have just basically missed out someone's Olympic gold medal. Um, But sometimes you just have to, you just get a feeling. You just get a feeling that you need to do the right thing. I wouldn't usually take a flyer. I'm quite safe as as an individual, but that time I had to. And that's one of the things I always look back at and say, my goodness me, why did I actually do that? Because that could have gone really badly wrong. So, yeah, I mean, to, to answer your original question, I haven't really got any, any strange events that I've, I've announced that. I mean, you obviously do, you know, some of the, the, uh, the precursors sometimes, you know, a relay race between mas- mascots and you know, the mascot race at cricket finals day and all those kind of things are all a bit wacky. But, yeah, nothing, nothing massively strange, I would say. Oh, well, I mean, that, that Fiji story there, I, I take my hat off to you. Well done there for, uh, <laughs> for going in on that one. Well, I mean, th- thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to talk to us, and I'm I'm sure you're you're itching to get back to Wembley as we all are, but in a uh, in a supporters capacity to to have us all there because I'm sure there is a uh, a noticeable difference for yourself when there's supporters there and and when there isn't. Absolutely. I mean, I, feel, I do feel like I've sort of lived at Wembley, actually, whereas nobody else has been able to for the last month, because obviously having done the semi-finals and the final of the FA Cup and then having done the three playoff finals as well. So I've actually been there quite a bit myself and I've it has been a, a very strange and a, a surreal, empty experience, really. I mean, Wembley, the, the bigger the stadium, the stranger it is, really, because it is so cavernous. Uh, they've also got this brand new PA system in, which I don't think you've, you've had a chance to listen to yet for this new for this year. So um, that, that has been even more booming around the empty seats, I can tell you. But yeah, hopefully, I mean, who knows which way it's going to go at the moment. But by the time we get to the Wales game, we might know more. And then obviously the, the home games after that, Belgium and Denmark, it will be you know amazing because there's no... Having done an FA Cup final now with a full house and a, an empty house, you know, just the, the polar opposite differences between the two. And still I go back to my most memorable England moment so far, which is the Harry Kane late winner against Croatia in, in that game. That was my, my favourite goal announcement I've done so far because the, you know, the roof came off in, in that moment. So Didn't it just? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, thank you very much. And, and you're on Twitter, aren't you, for, for people that may want to just see a little bit more of, of how, your, how your life goes, aren't you? Yes, yeah, so I spell my name a slightly funny way. I'm not sure what my mum was up to. Uh, I'm Chris with a K, so K-R-I-S, Temple, T-E-M, P-L-E.
And so just what, what's up next for you? So next, I've actually got a couple of weeks off at the moment because now that football's done, um, I am one of my day jobs is I work for the BBC covering um, Bournemouth matches for BBC Radio up and down the country. So it's been a, a difficult few weeks with them getting relegated. So I'll be back to them in the championship at the end of uh, or the start of September. So my actual next football match will be the Community Shield, which is um, obviously the week before the first round of uh, England matches. So that is my next date in the, in the football diary. I've got other bits and pieces before then, but in terms of getting back on the stadium, Mike, it will be yeah back at Wembley for the, uh, the Community Shield. Oh, well, I, I wish you all the best for that one. And, and thank you very much and, and hope, to, uh, hope to hear your, your tones very soon again at a Wembley game. Pleasure, Russell. Thanks very much for having me on and keep up the good work with the, uh, the Free Lines podcast. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for Chris for his time there. As he mentioned, he's on Twitter at Chris Temple, Chris of a K. I found that really interesting. All these little facets that go on around an England game. Hopefully going forward, we can speak to some more similar people. Thank you, as always, for listening. It is always appreciated. Please do tell your friends or people that you think may find it interesting. Perhaps you know a stadium announcer yourself, one at your local club. Perhaps steps two, three, four and and downwards could well be of interest to them. And if you'd like to get in touch, please find me on all the social channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just search Three Lions Podcast or you can email threelionspodcast at gmail.com. And I hope you can join me on the next episode where I hope to be previewing those games we have against Iceland and Denmark. Look after yourselves. Stay safe. Stay subscribed. Wear a mask. Cheers. Cheers.